Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, today I am really excited to continue speaking on the subject of faith. Um, there's so many places we could go to start, but I don't plan on saying anything that uh, probably some of you have not heard said before. But Peter wrote this. He said, as long as I'm here, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. Uh, you, we don't hear a spiritual truth one time and grab hold of everything that there is. Uh, in fact, I believe that if all of us were had operating everything that we know in our life, if we had all the spiritual truth operating that we know, well, we'd all be spiritual giants. But we need to be stirred up. Paul said to, to, uh, to Timothy, he said to stir up the gift of God. And he said, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you of truth. Well, that's what I plan to do today is kind of stir you up. I want to start in Proverbs 18, verse 21, which says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat its fruit. I don't think that most of us, maybe any of us, really grab hold of the importance and the power that is behind the words that you speak. The Bible says both death and life are in the power of the tongue. In Romans 8, and it's talking about faith. And it says this, it says, but what does it, what does faith say? Now, one of the things that we need to remember about faith, and this will just keep on coming up, is your faith needs to be expressed. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13, it says, since we have, now it's talking about us. It says, we have the same. Now, literally, it's saying the identical or a carbon copy. So you have the same, the identical spirit of faith. We tend to look at people in the Bible and we think, oh, they had something different. But the Bible says that the spirit of faith, it is the same. And notice, it talks about faith as being a spirit. You could almost say an attitude. Uh, Moses had the spirit of faith when he was 80. David, he was probably about 13. So it has nothing to do with your age. But literally, the most precious possession that you can have on this earth is the spirit of faith. So he says, since we have the same, the identical spirit of faith. So, so with that said, let me say this. Uh, you can know a lot of principles about faith and not have the spirit of faith. You can know a lot of things because the spirit of faith is more caught than it is taught. Not that it is more caught than taught. Moses had the spirit of faith, but Joshua got the spirit of faith hanging around him. Elijah had the spirit of faith. But Elisha picked it up, being with Elijah. Jesus had the spirit of faith. And the 12 disciples picked it up, being around Jesus. Some things are taught and some things are caught. Since we have the same, the identical spirit of faith, according to what's written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Romans 10, 8, but what does faith say? 
The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, even the word of faith which we preach. So faith needs to be two places. It needs to be in your heart and it needs to be in your mouth. If it's only in your mouth, it's just like you're a parrot. You can, you can say the right things, but it's not in your heart. But if it's in your heart and it's not in your mouth, listen, you are disqualified. Now, let me, let me give you a little, little example of this. Uh, Jesus is staying right outside of Jerusalem at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in a little town called uh, Bethany. And in the morning, as they're going into Jerusalem to the temple, Jesus would be coming down the Mount of Olives, and he sees a fig tree. And he goes over to find figs, and there's none. And the Bible said that Jesus cursed the fig tree. <laughs> the disciples later say, Jesus, look at the tree that you cursed. Now, most of the time when people think about a curse, they think about four-letter words. Jesus did not go, you blankety-blank tree, Right? What Jesus did was he said, no one ever eat fruit from you again forever. Jesus spoke negative words of death to that tree. And the disciples say, you curse that tree. Now, when God tells the, the Levites to bless the children of Israel, he said, you shall bless them saying. He tells them what to say. So a blessing comes through words. Right? You can bless with your words, but you can also curse with your words. And so often we're so flippant about the things that we say. So Jesus curses that fig tree. As they come back by the next day, the disciples see that it's withered up from the roots. And they say, Jesus, look at that tree that you cursed. It's died. And Jesus said, Mark 11, verse 22, he said, have faith in God. He said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever will say to this mountain. So Jesus is talking about faith. In fact, there is no place in the whole Bible where there is more teaching on the subject of faith than right here. And it's coming from Jesus. Now, Jesus knows more about faith than anybody. And if you were to ask most Christians, what is faith? How does faith work? They say, well, faith is trust and faith is confidence and faith is being fully persuaded. And those, I believe all those are true. But when Jesus talks about faith, Jesus said this. He said, whosoever will say. So the first thing that faith will ever move is your mouth. And if it does not move your mouth, it will never move a mountain. In fact, Jesus said, faith works for whosoever will say. So all you and I need to do to be disqualified is to say nothing. You just keep your mouth shut. And it disqualifies you because Jesus said faith works for whosoever will. I want you to say it. Say, say, say. No, well, not say so, but just say, say. say. Well, <laughs> you get the point. You got to say something. Right? Something's got to be coming out of your mouth. Whosoever will say to this mountain. Now, I, I don't know why it is, but for years, I know I read this, but I understood it completely different. And I think most of us do. We think that what Jesus said, but you see what I did to the tree? I learned to do that in heaven. I'm the son of God. I can do that. God the Father does that. Holy Spirit does that. This is a deity trick. 
right? We speak to things and they die. We speak to things and they change. This is a deity trick. Don't you try this? Why, if you try this, you, you try this, you will blow the lips off your face. See, we think that Jesus was telling the disciples, don't do this. This is something that I can do and nobody else can do. But the truth is, Jesus said this will work for whosoever, man, woman, young, old, educated, illiterate. This will work for whosoever will say. And uh, notice what he says to the mountain. Most of us just talk about our mountains. We talk about how long we've had it, how much it hurt, how it runs in the family. We talk about how big the mountain is. Jesus didn't say to talk about how your mountain. He says, you need to talk to your mountain and you need to tell it to be removed and to be cast into the sea. So, so Jesus said, you talk to the mountain, not about the mountain. Most of us, we need it. We, literally, what you need to do is you need to get on the phone, 1-800-MOUNTAIN. And you need to say some things. You say, mountain, I've got some things that I want to say to you. First of all, I want you to know my God is bigger than you are. Secondly, I want you to know that I have authority over you and you're trespassing on God's property. And I'm telling you right now to be removed and to be cast into the sea in Jesus name. We need to speak to the mountain. The, uh, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt and they, they come to the, to the edge of the promised land. And Moses sends 12 spies in and says, go check out the land and bring us back a report. And they come back and they say, wow, it's awesome, just like God said. But 10 of the spies of the 12 stood up and said, but there's seven nations. There's walled cities. There's giants in the land. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And we are not able to overcome and go in. Two stood up and said, let us go in at once and take possession, for we are well able. Well, the people believed the 10, and they began to cry out, and they said, oh, if, well, well, why have you brought us here, Moses? It would have been better if we died in the desert. It would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. Man, in Egypt, we had leeks and onions to eat, and now you brought us here, and we're going to die. And God said, just have you spoken in my ear? so I will do to you. Every one of you from 20 years and older who said, I will die. If we're going to die in the desert, you will die in the desert. Everybody, 2 million people said, we'll die in the desert. And God said, that's what you said. That's what you're going to get. Two said, let us go up and west and take possession. God said, you're all going to die in the desert, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they had a different spirit. They had the spirit of faith. So we've got 2 million people who say we're going to die. And God says, you're going to die. And they all died. We had two who said, let us go up at once because we're well able to take possession. And they went in and took possession. So two things. First of all, everybody got what they said, right? But the vast majority of people did not get what God wanted them to have. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says this. It says, the gospel was preached to them as well as to us, but it did not profit them not being mixed with faith. 
it did not profit them not being mixed with faith. So God wanted them to go in. God wanted them to receive, but they did not take what they what God said and mix it with faith. And as a result, it was of no benefit to them. So the here's the truth. The majority of the time, the majority of the people do not receive what God has for them. I know that would go over really well, but it's true. Two million people died in a desert and two went in and took possession. And here's what many people do. And I want to encourage you to never do this, but we have experiential theology, right? We look and we say, well, these 10 people, they all prayed and four of them got it and six of them didn't. So it must be God's will to do it 40% of the time. And we base our theology on what other people receive and don't receive. But what we need to do is base our theology on what God said belongs to us and mix it with faith and mix it with faith. In Psalms 103, it says, bless the Lord, you, his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word, heeding the voice of his word. You know, the Bible tells us again and again that what you and I are supposed to do is we're supposed to be speaking what God says. We're supposed to be giving voice to his word. In fact, in Joshua 1.8, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. In Job, it says, you will also declare or decree a thing and it will be established for you. In Psalms, David said, I will say of the Lord. Oh, by the way, what are you saying about God? But David said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my strength, my redeemer. I will say something about God. In Psalms 107, it, the, the Bible tells the, the redeemed, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You need to say what Jesus has, re has redeemed you, what he has purchased for you. In the book of Joel, it says, let the weak say, I am strong. In Isaiah 57, it says, God said, I create the fruit of the lips. You say it, God says, I'll back you up and I create it. In Isaiah 59, God said, my word that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor the mouth of your descendants, nor the mouth of your descendants' descendants from this time forth and forevermore. In Hebrews 13, it says, therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Revelation 12 says, and they, that's us, overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Do you realize you and I can never have overcoming victory without the word of our testimony? In Romans chapter eight, it says, what shall we then say to these things? It talks about every kind of trouble, every kind of problem you can think of. And it says, when trouble shows up, what are we going to say? What are you going to say? The Lord is my helper. The Lord's my deliverer. What can separate me from the love of God? Not principalities or powers, not things present, not things to come, not life, not death. We're supposed to be saying something. In fact, the more I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced God's just trying to teach us how to talk because we are a mess. All we do is give a report, right? Now, listen, Jesus said, 
Mark 11, verse 23, whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things that he says will come to pass, he will have whatsoever he says or say it. Jesus said, you'll have whatsoever you say. Here's what 95% of Christians do. They say what they have. You're not supposed to say what you have. You're supposed to say what God says you can have, not what you have. If all you ever do is say what you have, all you'll ever get is what you've got. Now, that may seem simple, but you think about that. That should bother you for the next two months. Seriously, Jesus said you'll have what you say. And you just give a report. Well, I've got this, and this is my problem, and that's my problem, and that's my problem, and that's my problem. You know, God doesn't want to hear about your problem. He wants you to talk to your problem and tell your problem to be cast into the sea. He wants you to speak to your problem about the promises of God, your redemption, your victory. That's what he wants you to do. But if all you ever do is give a report of what you've got, that's all you're ever going to get because Jesus said you'll have whatsoever you say. Okay. So we are supposed to give voice to his word. In Revelation 1, in verse 16, it says, He, Jesus, had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Out of Jesus' mouth goes this sharp two-edged sword. Later on in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, it says that that's how he defeats all of his enemies, is with his sword that's coming out of his mouth. I was reading Rick Renner's Sparkling Gems of the Greek. And he was talking about Revelation, writing about Revelation 116. And he said, it's a two-edged sword because one edge is when God says it. But it becomes a two-edged sword when you say it. You and I need to say what God says about our lives, about our redemption. Right? Um, it's in Genesis chapter 1 that it says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. The spirit of God was hovering. The spirit of God was doing nothing until God said. And what I know to be true is this, that the spirit of God begins to move when you and I begin to speak. When we begin to say what God says, then the spirit of God begins to speak. And otherwise he's hovering, he's there, but he begins to move when we begin to speak. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, it says to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's literally talking about the spiritual armor that a Christian is to have. And it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, your Bible inside of your heart becomes the sword. See, in, in the Greek language, the, the, what's translated word of God, there's two different words that can be translated. One is the word legos, lo, excuse me, logos. It refers to the entire word of God. And the other is the word rhema. And that's what's used here. It says the sword of the spirit is the rhema. It's the rhema of God. Now, <clears throat> If it was the Logos, it would mean your Bible. I've actually seen people do this. They're praying for somebody, you know, and then they think there's some sort of a demonic oppression and, you know, and they, they put their Bible up. Like the Bible, that, that, that physical Bible is going to somehow protect them. 
right? But it's not a physical Bible that's going to protect you. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the rhema of God. The rhema is not the whole Bible. The rhema is the word that has come alive on the inside of you. As you meditate on God's word and that word becomes alive on the inside of you, right? That's why some people's rhema, sword of the spirit, is about this big. And other people have a rhema about this big because they've been meditating on the word. And it's as we meditate on the word that it becomes the sword of the spirit. And if in uh, Ecclesiastes 8 and 4, it says, where the word of a king is, there is power. In Revelation chapter 1, it says that Jesus has made you to be a king and a priest to God the Father. And where the word of a king is, there is power. And at least you think, well, you're just taking two verses that have nothing to do with each other. Listen to uh, Romans 5, 17. For if it because of one man's trespass, offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. It just said right here that every believer has the potential to reign as a king in life. That's God's will for us. And where the word of a king is, there's power. The way that you exercise your faith and your spiritual authority is by what you're saying, right? So Joshua 1.8, because we're talking about faith and, and we, we've got to talk about how it comes. It says, faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17, and hearing by the word of God. Now, it's not just talking about with your physical ears. It's talking about with your heart. It's talking about with your spirit. Jesus would was often say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, everybody had ears on the outside, but he was talking about, do you have ears on the inside? So Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Now, when you're meditating on the word, you're thinking about that word. In fact, a negative form of meditation is worrying. Some people say, how do you meditate? How many have ever worried about something? In fact, some people are proud. I'm a worry word. Well, you know how to meditate. You're just doing it the wrong way. You're just focusing on the wrong thing. You know, in Eastern religion, when they talk about meditation, they want you to empty yourself, right? Empty yourself of all of your thoughts and all of your desires. Well, that is not, that is not Bible meditation. In fact, Jesus said, what things ever you desire, you're supposed to have a desire, but you're supposed to fill yourself with the word of God. Fill yourself and begin to see the word of God working on the inside of you, right? And see, because here's, here's the truth. Everything that we receive from God is an inside job. It happens on your inside before it ever happens on the outside. I'll give you an example. Uh, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Before you ever lay hands on somebody on the outside and see him recover, it's going to happen on the inside. You meditate on that and you see yourself praying for people and you see yourself 
You see, you see them recover and you see it on the inside and you meditate on it and it happens on the inside before it happens on the outside. Peace is an inside job. Healing is an inside job. A breakthrough or deliverance, they're inside jobs. Joy is an inside job. Provision is an inside job. You've got to see it on the inside before you're ever going to see it on the outside. And when meditation is seeing it on the inside before it happens. Um, when the prophet Elijah goes up to Mark Carmel, there's been a, 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 a drought for three and a half years. And he goes up on the mountain and he prays and fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And the king and all the people fall down and say, the Lord's God, the Lord's God. And they, they kill the false prophets of Baal. There hasn't been rain in three and a half years. And Elijah, the prophet, said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of an abundance of rain. Now, did he see any rain on the outside? Man, there wasn't a cloud. Literally, there was not one cloud in the sky. There was not any lightning or thunder. There was nothing. But on the inside, he saw something, right? He went up on the top of that mountain and he prayed. And then the Bible says that a cloud the size of a man's hand began to rise out of the Mediterranean Sea. And, and he said, hurry up, hurry up, because that rain, I hear it coming. And as he's beginning to, to just descend, there's lightning, there's black clouds, there's thunder, and there's so much rain that it stops people from even traveling. Right? But he saw it on the inside before he saw it on the outside. You see, you ultimately move in the direction of your dominant thought. Now, he's just prayed and fire came from heaven. He prayed and it begins to rain. And the evil queen sends word and says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. I'm going to kill you. And this is what the Bible says. I quote King James. When he saw that, when he saw that, he turned and he ran into the desert for three days. She said, I'm going to kill you. And when he saw that, how many of you know, you don't think in words, you think in pictures. That's how you think. You think in pictures. And when you're reading the word of God, you need to be picturing yourself doing what the word of God is telling you. You identify with someone in that, in that, uh, the story that's in the Bible. Uh, uh, four or five months ago, I, I was watching a movie with several of my grandkids and the movie comes on and there immediately we have a little war. First one girl says, I'm her. No, the other, the mother, granddaughter says, no, I'm her. No, says, no, I'm her and you can be her. And then the, the little, little brother's like, no, no, I'm him. I'm him. Right. How many know when they watch it in a movie, they're identifying with somebody. Right. And the same thing should be true when you and I get in the word of God, we should be identifying all right, with somebody. What's happening there should ultimately be happening to us. Romans 4, verse 17 says, as it is written, God is speaking, I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist or that be not as though they did or though they were. Now, here's what God did. He came to Abraham, who's at this time 
still just called Abram. Uh, he's 90 years old. He has no child. And God says, uh, you're going to have a child. In fact, right now, I'm changing your name. Abram just means a prince. But Abraham means the father of a multitude. And so he changes his name from a prince to the father of a multitude. Can you imagine him going to the market the next day? And somebody says, hey, prince. And he says, no, 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 that's not my name. My name is the father of a multitude. And uh, they said, well, how many children do you have? Well, it says, I don't have any yet. And how old are you? 90. Really? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're like writing him off. And this guy's got mental problems. But God had him change his name and begin to confess, get this, confess that he was the father of a multitude before he had a single child. Because God calls the things that be not as though they, as though they were. See? And God will have you and I calling things that be not as though they were. Right? Because that's how God operates. Right? So, continuing on. He gives life to the dead, calls those things that be not to exist as though they did. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believe that he might become the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now, when God said it, he believed it. Bible faith, listen, is always dependent on believing what God has said. It's not some crazy idea that you come up with or I come up with. Bible faith is believing what God has said. So God had said, according to what was spoken, God said to him, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. You see, you can be strong in faith or you can be weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he's about 100 years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, literally, he became stronger in his faith as he would begin to give glory to God. He began to thank God. He began to say what God said. And as he did, he grew strong in faith. His faith grew. And you and I, it's the same thing. We need before. How many of you know when the giant's laying dead, everybody can shout? But it takes a, it ta it takes a believer to shout while the giant's still standing. See, David was de declaring what was going to happen before the giant fell. See, and Abraham was thanking God before Sarah became pregnant, before the child was born. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. The King James says being fully persuaded that he who had promised was also able to perform. You know you're in faith when you are fully persuaded. No doubt. You can look at the problems. You can look at what the world see, the situation, the giant, but you're fully persuaded that God will do what God has said that he will do. That's what faith does. Right? And you and I, no different than Abraham, should do the same thing. Let me close with this. Words literally are weapons. They are weapons. 
Death and life are in the power of the dung, and they that love it will eat its fruit. Right? Now, the truth, how many ever heard somebody say you're going to eat your words? I'm the only one? All right, come on. The truth is, you are going to eat your words, whether they're for life or whether they're for death. You're going to eat your words. But our spiritual battles are fought with words. Right? Now, the reason why some of us are not fully persuaded, fully convinced, is because we do not value our own word. See, you're going to say something. you got to believe it's going to come to pass. That's what Jesus said. You believe that those things that you say will come to pass. But you don't value your words. You don't even believe your own word. You say, I'll be there at 10. You haven't left your house till 10 o'clock. And what you're doing is you're teaching yourself that you cannot believe your word, that your word is not important. But Jesus said that faith works when you do not doubt, but you believe that those things that you say will come to pass. So it's really important that you value your word, that you esteem it, that you, that you, you, uh, you, you make sure to the best of your ability when you say something that you do it. But our battle are fought with words. Jesus in the desert. Satan came and Satan said, and then Jesus said, it is written. Then the devil said, and then Jesus said, it is written. And then the devil said, and then Jesus said, it is written. Now, that was a battle. It was fought with words. And the, 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 the mountains, the obstacles, the giants that are in your life, in my life, we confront them in a win of victory over them the exact same way. First Samuel 17, David has said, I will go and fight the giant. They bring him to the king. And the first thing the king says, you can't fight him. You're just a, you're just a kid. And he's been a man of war since his youth. And David said, your servant was keeping his father's sheep and a lion came and a bear came. They took one of the sheep. I went after him. I grabbed him. I hit him. I killed him. And I rescued the sheep. The God who delivered me from the bear, the God who delivered me from the lion, he will deliver that Philistine into my hand. He goes out to see the giant and the giant sees him. And the Bible says the giant saw him and despised him because he was a ruddy kid, red faced little kid. And the giant said, come to me. You come with stick. You come with a stick. He's got his shepherd's staff. You come at me with a stick. Come here. I'm going to kill you. Take your head from you. And I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, whose armies you have defiled. And today I will kill you take your head from you and feed your body and that of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field that all the world may know that there is a God in heaven. Woo! Then he put his little hand in that, in that sack, took that stone, threw that at that giant, hit him in the head, knocked him down, went over, cut his head off, and the devil did not say anything else. Goliath did not say anything else. Do you know David won that battle with words? If he had missed him with the stone, he'd have killed him with the stick. He won the battle with words. 
And every time you run at your giant, remember, you need to have your mouth working. Because Jesus said, faith works for whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. But believe that those things which he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Would you bow your heads for just a moment, please? Wherever you're at online, you can. You know, our, our culture believes that good people go to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that it is forgiven people that go to heaven. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That means that all the good things I could do could never make me right with God. And all the good things you can do will never make you right with God. But so many of us were trying to earn God's approval. But Jesus said, I'm the way. So what Jesus said was, you must be born again. And what that means is this. You need to give Jesus all of your heart and all of your life. And he is not a thief that he would steal your heart. He's not a manipulator to trick you. And if you haven't given him all of your heart in life, you still have it, but you need to give it to him. Somebody said, but I, I believe in God. You know, we all do. We've all celebrated Christmas and Easter. But salvation is not about your head. It's not about what you know. It's about your heart. Have you given all of your heart and all of your life to Jesus? And again, Jesus won't steal it. He won't trick you into giving it. But the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And if you haven't given him all your heart and life, you need to do this. So I'm going to ask everybody, whether you're online or whether you're here, if you can, would you please put one hand over your heart? Lift your other hand towards heaven. If you're away from God, you're not right with God, we're going to pray this prayer. And I want you to make these words your own and to say this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I am going to live for Jesus every day. I thank you that you've heard my prayer, that I am forgiven, my past is gone, and I'm a part of your family, your kingdom, today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.